podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the weekend. It is the weekend. Neil Atkinson. Uh, we've got loads to come on this one, uh, but we're going to focus in on Barcelona. We've got Canelli and that to come in a minute or two. But I've got Dan Morgan, I've got Leanne Prescott, and I've got Damien Cavana to have a chat about the fact that, you know, Champions League semi finals or Champions League semi finals. Liverpool acquitted themselves brilliantly. Some days, Damien, you'd have hard lines. Yeah, we certainly did. Um, it's weird, isn't it? You know, is that the best I've ever felt about getting beat 3 0? You know, in a semi final, you can't argue with the fact of the goals. I've got no complaints. You know, it wasn't like it was dodgy decisions or mistakes by the players. It was just the way the game went. But I thought we were absolutely magnificent. For um, the way that we set up was the way we should have set up. I thought we were, you know, you heard the way brave getting used to describe the situation. I thought the manager got his tactics right. I thought we were aggressive. I thought the way we reacted to going a goal down, it reacted to the kickoff basically of being in the new camp. Yeah, reacted to going a goal down. We we kept at it. Being a goal down at half time, we come out for the second half and went for them and penned them back. It wasn't like they were sitting off trying to pick us off. They were penned back. Um, there was a, a few minutes madness between the second goal and the third goal, but even then we stuck to the task. You know, and off the line and off the post and everything. So. Yeah, it was. You know, if you looked at that, I'm sure the stats will will dictate that it's an incredibly harsh defeat. But I, I do feel positive. You know, as a as a long term look at it, to say this team proved and this manager proved that they they absolutely deserve to be in there, and he went toe to toe with a team who definitely know that they were def, definitely know they were lucky to get three nil out of that. Toe to toe, Leanne is, I think, a great way to describe it. Liverpool turns up at the camp new and I was worried uh, in a couple of ways you know I think that it'd be perfectly understandable if you shrank a little bit of the occasion 100,000 people um, yeah. and just simply playing the mighty Barcelona with Leo Messi Liverpool went the other way I think that is every single one of them I felt stood up and was countered Yeah I mean at, at times Barcelona kind of looked like the away side that was Liverpool's dominance you know Liverpool went there with no fear and it was almost a reflection on the progress that's been made under Klopp Liverpool weren't overawed by an occasion where you know it was a game where we, we had three or four, maybe five chances to score a goal, and you don't get that against Barcelona. Um, and I, I think, you know, all-round performances were solid. It, it's a performance where you're kind of looking at it and you're frustrated by the result, but you can't really ask much more from the players. And, you know, it, again, it comes back to just fine margins of football, luck of football, and, and the performance, yeah, you, you can't really ask for much more. When we talk about hard lines as well, Leanne, there is a line there around what happens to Keita. It is a, yeah. it's a blow for Liverpool and it's a blow for, arguably for the manager because it takes a sub away and you get the impression that there's going to be the introduction of fresh legs around the 60-minute mark in the middle of the park. He loses both the idea of being able to make any substitutes. He goes from three subs to two, but also to be able to make that one because that's what Henderson will have been on the bench for. Yeah, exactly. And it, it comes at a time when Abby is hitting top form for Liverpool. I think he's kind of been the creative force in the team. And um, I thought he was really, really good before his injury. Uh, you know, he was picking up space in between the lines, making things happen, getting the ball. Won a couple so. of things quick, I noticed as well. Took things off people's toes. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, that that's kind of been the criticism. His defensive play, a lot of people were surprised maybe that he got the nod instead of Henderson. But he was battling with, with tackles. He played it into Robertson. And, and he was kind of the driving force for, for Liverpool, showing no fear. Um, you, you know, Henderson comes on, brilliant performance, but... It was almost a sense of Klopp's forced into an early change and therefore, you know, the further changes of Firmino and, and possibly Trent, who didn't feature, don't come because he's had to make that substitution. It's what in general, Dan, we talk about hard lines and it might be some people listening to saying, well, it's not hard lines, it's bad finishing. It's not hard lines, it's 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 not being quite good enough at key moments in games. I think I think both can be true. I think all those things can be true. Yeah. But it is it is it is frustrating to see an attack that's fired and fired in big games just have that bit of an off day. I think because of that, I'm actually of the opinion we get exactly what we deserve on the night. And I mean that in the sense that these are the levels you're operating at now. Okay. You can't have a performance like that two years ago and get beat 3-0. You'd probably come away with a 0-0, maybe even get beat 1-0 to a scrappy goal. At this level, it's the difference between it being a 3-0 and, you know, and it going the other way. And I think there's a couple of things with that. I think, I think it's clear and obvious when they don't make it for that Messi is is going is doing his nut because yeah. he thinks he very much thinks that's a thing like he thinks everything I've just said he thinks if we're 10% off at Anfield you know this could easily be 3-0 to them come 80 minutes come 90 minutes mm-hmm. so I think I think these the far margins with them now I think I think that that is is clearly um it's just a level of ruthlessness at this level that we might have to get used to a little bit more. I think there is hard lines throughout the context of it. Obviously, the, the injuries the guys have touched on, I completely agree with, because 
I don't think he gets to have the substitutions on his terms. I, I think if you ask him what his first two subs are before the ball's kicked, I think he probably says Henderson and Lovren. You never see him get to do the defensive sub. You know, you never see him get to do the third centre-back, which, OK, we haven't seen for a while. But if you get to a, p- a position where you're hanging in the game and want to take something back to Anfield in the last 15... That could be an but option. Just come back to you, Dan, on the, the hanging in thing. I think one of the things, and I think any chat around his team selection and the, the way he's thinking about the subs, I don't think the game plays out as he expects. In no. that, I think Liverpool play arguably better than yeah, he's. I think than he's been better than he expected. Yeah. I think that's it. I think that the, the, his players stand up for him, Dan, in a way that I think maybe he might even you know be a little bit surprised by the extent to which Liverpool are more dominant in the game and at that sort of stage for instance I agreed with Gomez over Trent certainly without knowing fitness questions I was fine with it but then on 60 minutes when Liverpool are fully in control you're a bit like oh, I wish Trent was on now do you know what I mean I think that that's been a lot of what's been in his, his mindset I think yeah. he's thought I'm going to need these subs but guess what he, he could have done with them but he didn't need them desperately on 45 or 55 No and, and the other thing is James Milner's his best player on the pitch Yeah, you know, and he's probably maybe one who's had in his mind as Maybe might blow a gasket first they might need to take yeah. him off on 70 so all these things play out and it, you know it's dead interesting what he says after the game and that I, I completely agree with him and he says this is part of the journey you know I think sometimes we're guilty of looking at this this point now as being the end of the journey or this is where it should all bear fruit this is all still part of the journey couldn't agree more you know this is not even maybe not even halfway through it yeah and I think that's one thing we have to learn and we have to learn together as a team as a set of fans as a set of coaches we have to learn from last night and we have to take it into context of what it was and we have to take the positives from it and there were plenty. Um, another night, we put two chances away and this looks completely different and that's absolutely sound. On the, the Messi being furious at 4-0 thing, Damien, and what yeah. Dan says there about, you know, for me, it's uh, you shouldn't be coming away from 3-0 to Barcelona with Leo Messi feeling like we've still got something in this for us. But to me, I'm... Like the extent to which I just think score, just score first. Don't even score, you know, don't even have to score for first half. Yeah. Just score first at Anfield. And I think if you're Barcelona, you're thinking, oh no, we could do without this. I mean, yeah, the extent to which yeah. they need a goal here yeah. is massive. Yeah, it's, it's momentum, isn't it? I think Dan's made a good point there about the journey. I couldn't agree more about that. I think everything has, has, has been a, a very consistent upward graph since we've had Klopp. And then the addition of the def- defensive solidity. I know we left three goals in last night, but overall we're so much more solid than that. And if we are going to finish second on 97 points if we are going to gallantly fall to the eventual winners Barcelona in the European Cup semi-final you've got to think to yourself well how else do we improve and that ruthlessness of having another striker someone who can come in when Firmino's not there someone who can put the ball over the line or someone you know who can just tidy up the midfield without one injury going off that is definitely definitely where we're up to Messi is a perfectionist of course and that's what's driven him to where he is he's worried if he is worried about not getting the fourth one in I hope he's proved right in the back of his mind didn't he lose three from three and a half last season at Roma? They were th- so the, yeah, they got a, Roma got an away goal. Uh, they got beat four one last oh, season. Is that what it was? So yeah. Barcelona won four one, and then they went back to Roma, and Roma beat ah, them three right, nil. Yeah, so. They've also conceded five on the road to Paris Saint Germain. They got Indeed. beat five one by Paris Saint Germain. They turned that round when they were at home, mm. and I think it shows the respect that he's got for this Liverpool side. That he's he is thinking. Well, he's both been on the the, the positive end and the receiving end of this, yeah. and I think he's thinking this this isn't over. No, I think I certainly think we're going to push them all away, whether we get over the line or not. It's another matter, but. Yeah, you know, on the night, I'm going to tell you we're going to win because that's the nature of our support. We're going to be bouncing, we're going to be up for it. Uh, the coach is going to be aggressive. The players have shown resilience. They play to the last minute, even during last night's game with setbacks. Yeah, Messi's got every reason to respect us and the pre- perfectionism that's driving him on to get over the line no, means that he knows a threat when he sees it. Um, it's crazy, Leanne. It's, it's, it's a reminder, really, in the same way, and we need to remember this, that... The renown that we hold, for instance, Barcelona and Liverpool are held in on the continents as well. You know, this is part of it being European royalty. But it is startling that, you know, Liverpool go to Barcelona and have more possession than them. They look after the ball better. They are more interested in looking after the ball better. They're, 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 they're more proactive, as the manager says. They're more direct, more lively, you'd argue. It's really, really strange. that Those things should not happen. But that is that paints the picture of where we are right now. Yeah, it paints a picture of a team who's progressed so much under Klopp and is now kind of back where it should be, back where they belong. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't men against boys. It wasn't Liverpool being beaten, which some of the media will make out because of the result. It was Liverpool battling and, and Liverpool, you know, arguably dominating for at least a 15 minutes after the halftime whistle. And, you know, Liverpool get 15 minutes of dominance. They get three, four chances, don't take them. Barca get seven minutes of dominance, two chances, take them. That's, you know, that's the difference. That's the ruthlessness. 
Liverpool need to find. But, you know, in terms of the performance, you, as I said, you can't really ask for much more. This is Liverpool back where they should be, back playing as they should be. We're not just happy to be here. We're, you know, we're playing, we're giving people a, a real go. It's important, isn't it, Leanne, that we should be a bit angry, whether we think we've had hard lines yeah. or not being ruthless enough or both. We should actually, you know, let's take that anger into the ground next week. Let's be, let's, let, let, let's harness that into, come on, we can really show these, we can really stick one on them. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the return, the return leg in that. I think it's obviously difficult for Liverpool to go through, but I think they can, as Damien says, they can scare the life out of Barcelona and, and Anfield can do that too. Yeah, this this isn't a team who will give up. You know, Jurgen Klopp's not a manager who will give up and it's all about momentum now, you know, channeling the disappointment and the frustration and, and kind of coming away from a game and, and settling down and, and, you know, having the second thought to think, you know, you go to Barcelona, you create two, three, four chances. Now you're back at Anfield, you're back with the crowd, you, you've got the team on your side, you've got the support, do it again and, and bury the chances and, and see what comes of it. Um, talking about hard lines, uh, you hit the bar. You, you, your star striker knees it it hits the bar it should hit the top of the bar and go over it actually spins back because he's kneed it and it drops to the best player in the world with the goalkeeper uh, on the deck four yards outright on his chest it's the way football works sometimes Dan but you know he then goes on and scores the free kick and it, you know he's he's genuinely phenomenal I mean he really is it's it's having now be played against it if you know what I mean lived through that fear of him getting on the ball it's, it is a different thing to any era of Ronaldo almost I think he's He's just this constant creative force, this constant menace. Yeah, he's constantly a presence, isn't he? He is. I mean, he his ability to just be present in games, even when he hasn't touched the ball for five minutes, you just feel his presence all over the pitch. And I think I think that affects the setup of Liverpool a little bit. I think I think what plays out for both sides I picked up on last night is that I think you never stop seeing Messi being Liverpool's priority and even from their point of view, Salah being theirs. So I think I think you're almost you have to give something up in games like this because you know you can't account for everything. So I think Liverpool are, are sort of happy to let Albert have the ball until he starts really hurting them because I think they know that the positions that Messi usually takes the ball are over more over the right side coming in off his left. So I think they're a little bit lopsided from that point. And you see it from Barcelona as well. I think they gamble and let Robertson and Mane have a little bit more space than ordinarily they'd like. But obviously they have to account for Salah being the other side and. These things are just playing out all night, but his presence in a football game is is unbelievable, and and he doesn't have to be peripheral to it. He doesn't. I think we actually play really well against them. I think the minute he's got it, I think Fabinho does well. I think Matip does really well on a few occasions. We never lose our heads with him, and like you say, the one occasion where we do take a yellow when everyone says, "Oh, it's sound, yeah, no problem." <laughs> yeah. It's a really good foul, <laughs> until the point that he just puts it in the one place that you could only put it. You know, it actually in a mad, mad way, it reminded me of Michael Owen's second goal in the FA Cup final. And it's, it's nothing like the goal, but there's literally one place, there's one square of net he could have put it, and it's that that type of margin, and he puts it there. And and you know, fair play to him, he is a difference maker, and we all said that before coming in. But like I say, the fine margins are throughout the game, and I think there's a couple of things. I think what annoyed me slightly was it wasn't the chances we missed; it was the pass before. So I think there's a couple of times we get into the we get into the point where you know the third pass, the fourth pass is great, and then it gets to the last pass, and it's all a little bit. There's a couple that are frustrating. Mm. There's a couple that are frustrating down Robertson's side, and that's what to say. That's what to say. He himself is actually. It's more that at times no one makes the sort of run we've seen them be making. He hasn't got one more man in the box, one more body. He hasn't got someone who just comes and offers him that little one on the edge. You get to see the Milner miss is an example of someone being where they should be yeah. in that sort of situation, and not yeah. the you know the. Other, yeah. That's it. I couldn't work out whether it was put into an area where players should be, or it's just been mm. a little bit blind and a little bit hopeful at that point. Point, and and like I say, these are these are things. The other thing for me, just. You know, consequently, is is I think it's it's clear now that Roberto Firmino is our most important player because I think what you've seen in the last two games is a couple of tribute acts to him. Basically, I think I think we've all thought yesterday the shape might be a little bit different, that we might try and do something different, but the manager stuck to what he wants in terms of shape and what he's tried to do is just get someone to clone Firmino. And I think if you're doing that in wide areas, if Salah or Mane are fit, I think that's that's a little bit different because it's less impactful. But the way Firmino can help change his shape when he's in the side, you know, I think yesterday Busquets is unbelievable. But at the same time, I think if you've got a player like Firmino screening him with the intelligence he's got, again, that goes against us because he yeah. doesn't make it. And each time, you know, the two wide lads are getting in. Firmino's always there, isn't he? Giving them the wall pass, giving them the, the, the feint, giving it the dummy and whatever have you. And of course, Genie 
perform manfully did everything we could ask of him but he, he isn't going to be Bobby in that position is he it was, an, it was for me Damien it was a bit of a like you know I think that I mean it was a reminder of one of the like the oldest truths in footy which is the best players play up front yeah. and there was a thing that a couple of times there where you know there was some balls I think Henderson fizzes one into Wijnaldum at one point and he nearly kills it and gets a shot off but he doesn't quite and you Without, I mean, listen. For me, those miscontrolled balls. But you, I was yeah. watching it, thinking, oh god, if that's Bobby, he, he, he finds his way there. He finds a little way to be twelve yards out suddenly with the goal yeah, in front of him. And, yeah. and I think that is, you know, it's, you're right to say when Alden does everything right in his head, does everything right with his legs, with his running. At times, it was just that little bit of technique that was so frustrating. Yeah, the subtlety, and it's the problem that we've got to solve yeah. because you know you can say we've been quite fortunate really, and the, the front three have been healthy for a, a long time, hmm. and put you know, and so. A bad injury there could have a serious impact on us because at the moment we've got some game lads coming off the substitute spent, but they're not they're not consistent. And I don't buy into the fact that you know we're going to struggle to sign a player then who can say well which one of the other three miss out. We need someone who can go in and rotate with them. So we've got one off the bench so we can rest once. You know what I mean? And sort of and it, and it be interchangeable. But at, at this point in time, Bobby is the one you certainly couldn't. Um, it's interesting he doesn't move Marnie from the outset or full stop Leanne must have felt as though Marnie and Salah could get at the, the, the full back centre halves and those spaces between them he decides to go with Wijnaldum instead in the past I think Marnie is his best Firmino tribute act possibly his best possibly the best Firmino tribute act in the country to be honest but he decided instead that he was going to go as he went I think he he tried to do what he thought Barcelona were going to do to us which is why he you know he opts for, for Gomez over Trent because Barcelona's fullbacks are very, very good at attacking, but sometimes they're susceptible defensively. And, and you know, we've had conversations before where Trent maybe gets caught in terms of his running, and that's probably why Gomez slots in. And you know, we we've touched on Jordi Alba getting a lot of space, but I thought Mane did well out wide. I thought Salah did well out wide. It was, you know, as, as we've said, Wijnaldum did really well. But when you're in the final third and you're a centre midfielder, you don't have the conviction, you don't have the ruthlessness, and and he shouldn't. That's not what's expected of him. Um, I thought, you know. Again, the the overall game plan, the way we play, the way uh, Bobby um, came on and, and you know changed the game and linked up with the front three it was indicative of what Liverpool have done this season. It was indicative of what Bobby does for this team, and you know it's it's a cliche, but absence makes the heart grow fonder. It's when Bobby's in the team, you know what he does. When Bobby's not in the team, you know you know what he brings. And I think it's just he's that person who links everything together. He's the person who brings the best out of Salah, brings the best out of Mane, and. And it was just a difficult situation for Liverpool to try and recreate what he does. Um, touched on it, uh, Damien. Um, the idea of this second leg that Barcelona will have will will have minor trepidation about it. It is one for us all to keep our heads, I think. And I think Defo. it's one for us all to keep our heads. And then if Liverpool do score the first goal, go absolutely berserk because if yeah. you are them, you are thinking we, we we could really do without that. Yeah, Defo. You know the energy levels. They'll know. You know it's a cliche, isn't it? The power of Anfield, but it's only it's only a cliche because it's been true so often. You know it'll be in recent memory. You know the, the large proportion of this group of players did what they did against Dortmund. You know that the crowd will be up for it. I don't think there's any panic. I think if we come out the blocks and just try and you know a slugfest straight off, that'd be a mistake. We need to control the game. We need to make sure we don't leave the back door open. And I think if we can get to half time at one nil, we can all start feeling a little bit cautious, optimistic. You know. That's how, that's how I see it because yeah, we, we can certainly give you know give make it real health for them now if we can get if we can get one nil up and even if say even if it's only one nil at half time the next goal is the most important thing isn't it because if it did get to two nil yeah. all hell's going to break loose isn't it and they are you know if you look at last night and you're thinking the standard referee is usually excellent in the Champions League but we're at all strange things can happen people can feel empowered and it's not about I don't think our crowd would scare anybody in the Barcelona team it's not about that it's it's what it does to our players Yeah, and it, you know we're just going through three games in seven days all of which have equal importance you know, you know it's going to be tough going to Newcastle after the energy levels that have been spent and then going again and then going again against Barcelona and they've got free hits now because they've already won the league so that is going to be tough but the crowd being there it's got a serious role to play, and that definitely makes a, you know a difference to momentum. Let's just push them on. Let's and you know let's celebrate the fact that we're going into the last what is it, six five six days of the season, you know you know hopefully you know we can get what we need against uh, Newcastle, actually genuinely being in, you know the, yeah. the chase for the two biggest prizes we could ever wish to see. In a mad way, we kind of know how to do this. You know, this is the thing you, you talk about experiences with things like this now and the way in which this Liverpool side's evolving. We actually know how to come out the blocks and be 3-0 mm. up. You know, if you're Valverde, before last night, you're probably showing them videos of Napoli away from this season or whatever. I think before the return leg, like, you're showing them games against City last season. 
yeah. going, this is what can happen at Anfield. Yeah, Roma as well. And when that, we get know, one yeah. early and, and that's in, we know how to get to three. This is the thing, this is what I'm saying. We know how to ride a wave of 20 minutes and we, we know how to get from one to, like say, from one to two to three if if the chips fall for us. I think the, the only other thing for me, I think, I don't think it's been touched on much, is I just think from half time until they get the second goal and get the obvious second wins, they are absolutely blown them yesterday. They're not sitting in on purpose, they can't run. Like literally, we have got so much more in the tank than them yesterday, and I think that will show itself, I think, in the second leg. I think it's a really good point, and you know, they bring on um, Semedo at right back, and that kind of yeah. changes the game. That's the substitution that mm. arguably Klopp would have made something similar had Naby Keita not got injured, had he been able to, you know, change the game by bringing a Trent on or you know, bringing Firmino on a bit earlier. I think he would have done, and, and Liverpool could have maybe capitalised on that. Um, but I think in, in terms of going forward, you know, the narrative this season has always been before a ball was kicked, City was supposed to, you know, walk the title again. No one could touch them. This was an unbelievable team. Liverpool's character and mentality to keep pushing them all the way to, you know, take them all the way and make them always respond to Liverpool's wins has been something that we've seen all season. That doesn't go out the window now just because we've lost 3-0, an undeserved 3-0. I think Liverpool will keep pushing. They will not give up whether it's Barca, whether it's Newcastle, whether it's the league. And ultimately, you know, if we do fail to Man City, if we do fall to, to Barcelona, it's not a failure of a season. I think the way we've progressed this season overall is phenomenal. The way that the players play, the belief in the team, the mentality, the, the character that's being shown. It's a different Liverpool. It's the Liverpool from before, the Liverpool that we've all loved, rather than, the, you know, the Hodgson's, the the bad times under Brendan Rodgers. Mm. This is a team who believe they can get something, who believe they belong at the top, and they do. Yeah. A team that believes probably if they do fail, if you want to use that word, because I, I, I wouldn't use it, but if they do yeah. not quite make the summit or either of the summits, I think this will be a team and a support and a manager that thinks it's owed something and due something, mm. what they've done in the last couple of seasons. I think that that's important, but as well, I think I think sometimes you know, we look at this statistically and we think of it as... Being, it being too hard a mountain to climb so you're thinking God you know if we finish on 97 points this season how do we better that it doesn't have to be statistically all the time you know Manchester City in all likelihood will probably finish two points worse off than they did last season but they'll be talked about as a better side because they fended this Liverpool team off so I think you know I think if you're looking at next season I think the manager will probably be saying alright we break 90 points again we get ourselves past the group stages of the Champions League and maybe get to an FA Cup or League Cup semi-final. We, you know, we get in the conversation of things when they're getting one at the time that they're getting one. Yeah. You know, and, and that's I think that's all we can ask from this group of players because mm-hmm. I agree with both of these. They've done absolute credit to us and they've given us, you know, they've given us and themselves absolutely everything this season. So I don't think we can ask for any more on that front. We can't indeed. Listen, we've got loads coming up on this show. Becky is talking about Sound City, Ken Early, and a chat about Asian footballers in Britain. All of that is to come. We'll be back with Leanne, with Dan, and with Damien uh, to talk about Newcastle. I think it's going to be tricky. And with Becky Ayres from Sound City to talk about Sound City this weekend. Loyal Carnaday sold out. It has. Yeah, everyone wants to see Loyal. Don't, 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 don't even try and buy tickets uh, for Loyal. Uh, if you want to buy no. tickets, you can get them for the full weekend still. You can, yeah, but they're running very, very low. So they're running low. Loyal's gone, but you've got Mabel if you want Mabel on Sunday. Yeah, on Saturday. Saturday, sorry. Yeah, so, so Mabel is, yeah, that's very popular as well. Um, I think it's all going to change and be very, very, they're going to be going like hotcakes over the next couple of days. So if you do want to come, then get your tickets ASAP. Get your tickets ASAP. That's Mabel on the Saturday. Uh, that is what's going on. How's it gone? You enjoyed this year's pulling it together. I always ask you this. Yeah, I have, because I think it's been so good to be back in the Baltic Triangle. Um, it's a really, really amazing location, just not least because there's we're using 16 venues this year and they're all literally within a five-minute walk, which I think... Wow. Is, yeah, really. I mean, from Kitchen Street to the Baltic Social and On Air, it's, you know, you, that's quite a short distance, as you would know. So it's really... what what that means is that if you really love music and you want to go and see loads and loads of bands it's really easy to do that and it's easy to feel like you're in a on a festival site I think when you it was a big move going back to to the city centre big move going back to the Baltic you've um, I think you've enjoyed it it's where the Sound City office is it's where you sort of feel embedded I think is that fair 
It is, yeah, because I think for me personally, I've been involved since the second one, which was in 2009. And my passion was always about the emerging talent and about the new artists that were coming through. So, you know, I've always talked about years when we had people like um, Ed Sheeran and Stormzy and the 1975 that played to, you know, really, really small... Lizzo, I saw. I always say I saw Lizzo in the shipping forecast in 2014, and it was one of the best gigs I've ever been to. And Lizzo, I mean, look where she is now. She was, yeah, she was just down in the little dungeon of the shipping forecast. And Loyal Carner as well. He came, he was there um, four years ago, playing to a small crowds, supporting Stormzy at the time. And look where he is now. And the same with like Catfish and the Bottleman. They played in the attic. And there's so many stories like that. And I think I, I personally, and I know a lot of our team, all of our team now, I think we really um, love the music discovery aspect of Sound City. And I think putting loads of bands on that people will really take to their hearts because they've discovered them themselves in a tiny venue. And, you know, that's where you can really get into music, I think. And that's definitely true. I mean, I just talked about the Saturday briefly. We don't, we often don't go that line up heavy, but there's loads and loads of bits in there that are worth looking out for. Gweno yeah. is something you must be really excited about. Yes, because Gweno is, um, well, she's really, she's a unique artist because she sings a lot in the Welsh language and she's also um, really visual as well in what she does. And she's doing um, a big commission and a residency this week where she's working with lots and lots of young musicians to create something that's going to be quite a spectacle I think on Saturday. Gwena will be absolutely unbelievable uh, if people are going down. Uh, I couldn't recommend it enough. She's a district uh, also in there, you've got Cave Party. We've got So uh, So Su Me. Uh, so Su Me are, are going to be a very big band. Yeah, they they are from um, South Korea, and they have. This is the first time I think that they're coming they're coming over to the UK. But I actually saw them in Seoul in October last year, and I was blown away by them. They've had amazing coverage already in magazines like Fader, which is a big US um, blog, and Pitchfork have covered them. And I think um, they're more than just a hype band, though. They're just a really cool shoegazy <laughs> kind of band, and I, I just love them. There's a lot to be said for Korean shoegaze. Red Rum Club, it's a big deal for them, I suspect, this show, uh, and it's a big deal to have them. It is, because Red Rum Club are actually signed to our label, Modern Sky, and so... They are a band that we've worked with for now um, about 18 months and they are just going from strength to strength. They've actually just been confirmed for Glastonbury. Their tour is selling out all over the place and they've got a really amazing following. I think they're one of the real um, great success stories to come out of Liverpool recently. Uh, and uh, Too Many Tees, uh, they're also... Um, I, I like them a great deal, to be honest. Yeah, they're really cool. They're, they... Have, uh, they're kind of one of these bands that have just worked really, really hard and they've got a really interesting story because we're going to be interviewing them actually over the weekend in Love Lane Brewery, which is where we've got lots of panels and talks going on. And their story is one that's going to be really fascinating to hear about because they have literally done everything themselves and got to a level where they can be musicians and actually make a living from it, which is amazing. Uh, you've got on the Sunday, um, again, Sunday tickets are no longer available, but you can get them for the full weekend. Confidence Man uh, on there yes. as well. Confidence Man are great to have a dance to. They are so cool, and I know that's going to be a packed-out gig because they're just like really fun, and they're from Australia, and they've come over to just make everyone get their dancing shoes on. Uh, yep, uh, very much for the lads. Azora Kings uh, will go down a treat as well on the Sunday. Uh, all yes. very, very, very strokesy. Uh, yeah. if you're into, and the very good, very good looking young men. Yeah, they're <laughs> definitely lovely poster boys for, for <laughs> Sound City, I think. And and they're one. I think we've had bands like that, like the Amazons and um, Sunset Suns and some others over the years that have gone on to really big things. And I think that's going to happen for Zero Kings as well. And uh, T Street, obviously, uh, playing on the Sunday, which is also really exciting. Yeah, because T Street, have, obviously, they've been, you know, they have actually been a Sound City favourite for a long time. They've gone from strength to strength. Their new album came out last year and it's just... It's a belter. It's, it's great. And they have wonder, uh, they're a wonderful live act. Um, we're playing on the Friday night insofar as we play uh, it's mostly us talking it's going to be relatively sedate by Anfield Rap live show purposes but we are excited about it on Friday 
Oh, why is it sedate? Uh, but it's, I think it's, it's just, um, it's, it's, we've only got an hour. Like, ah. you, know, you know us, we, 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 we try to do shows longer than Springsteen yes. in an ideal world. Uh, so, yes, we get, and we're being followed uh, by uh, the shipbuilders and by the, the project that you've been part of as well with, with, with Levi's Music Academy, which, is, yes. which seems to have gone brilliantly. It has. Um, you enjoyed gonna... it? Again, I ask you that. It has. It's been amazing, actually. I think there's, um, there's actually, I'm hosting a panel on the Friday, which is about Levi's um, as a brand partnership um, and what they've done over the Levi's Music Project, which is to work with Liverpool Football Club and also with Loyal Karna and 13 young people um, from Liverpool who are all being mentored by Loyal and are going to be performing at Sound City. It's been really interesting um, because the young people are just when I first heard them about three months ago, they were absolutely amazing and they've got even better since then. They're going to be playing in Constellations on the Friday, Saturday and Sunday and also on the main stage before Loyal Karna on Sunday. So there's some really, really exciting new talent in there. And there is obviously also Loyal. Uh, tremendous to have booked him and to have got him along. Um, and he's also lovely. It helps. <laughs> yeah, because you guys have done a lot with him, haven't you? Yeah. He sounds great, and he seems to be. I mean, he's got a, uh, he's got like a food academy, hasn't he? That he does like a cookery school, and he's been doing this project. And he's just, his just the way that he comes across, and his love for Liverpool is un- incredible for someone that's not actually from the city. Well, like you, Becky, all the best scousers are from outside the city. That is my theory. Uh, Loyal Connor and Becky Ayers can pull together on that one. Sound City then, tickets are still available for the full weekend. We are doing something on the Friday night at the Anfield Wrap. Uh, We're really, really looking forward to doing it. Um, It will be the business. It's at Constellations. Uh, We go on 7.30, and then from there, there's the live music from the Levi's Music Project, and then there's the Shipbuilders. So come and see us at Constellations if you have the opportunity to do so. We're really looking forward to it, and we will have a fabulous time and have a chat to absolutely anybody. That's the way in which this goes. Uh, Thank you very much to Becky. Thank you very much to Becky for putting on Sound City. It's very good of her, very kind of her. Uh, Go if you can. Jared's betting certainly Neil Atkinson with Ian Ryan. Ian, go through all the obvious stuff. What Liverpool to win the Champions League uh, on Red's bet oh, is now mate. twenty-two to one. <laughs> mate, uh, yeah, why not? <laughs> Let's have a go. Um, it feels unlikely. Twenty-two to one. How did yeah. you feel about it last night? Did it was a painful? Um, yeah, it was. I was sitting upstairs before to the guys. I, I wasn't. I got particularly angry, but not with anyone in particular because there was no one really to get too angry with. Not, There's a lot not, to be said for a scapegoat, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it helps a lot, in fairness. I mean, you can get angry at certain Barcelona players, but our boys, no, no one really let themselves down, did they? Um, but saying that, it doesn't make it any easier to take. It was a tough one, a real tough one. It was a tough one. Um, it's... The road from this point really all feels a bit tough, and you know it's going to be hard for the Reds. There's a few others. Liverpool are seventeen to four here to win the Premier League on Reds bet. Uh, seventeen to four for so that's just better than four to one. Yeah, I mean that's not that's not too bad to be honest. Given that you know a lot's got to happen. Um, you know we're all we're all kind of watching what Leicester do at Man City. Um, but yeah, four to one. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. I'd, I'd, I'd probably I'd probably have a look at that because I still think there's a final twist in this story. There's been nothing yet, um, and it doesn't feel like we can see the season out without something big happening. So I still think there's a there's a little twist in this tale. Um, game against Newcastle, uh, Mo Salah and Sadio Mane both to score fifteen to four. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't say it was a bit of that. I think that could happen. I, th- I think they both looked likely to score against Barcelona. It was just that final, that final touch, that final ball. Um, I don't think Newcastle's an easy game by any stretch, but I think those two lads are, are lads that are both both looking quite sharp, certainly ahead of the Barcelona Barcelona game, I should say. So yeah, that's not a bad bet. There's one here I don't like Liverpool to win an over three and a half goals at five to two. It doesn't. I don't quite see where a free score on Liverpool necessarily turns up from at St James's Park, and I don't really see Newcastle opening themselves up to much damage. So, you know, I can't, you know, it seems to me that if Liverpool get 2-0 up, for instance, everyone will just shake hands. It's in Liverpool's interests, it's in Newcastle's interests, if Liverpool get 2-0 up, which is its own challenge. Yeah, that's not grabbing me. I don't think Rafa's going to come and, and do us any massive favours by opening up. Uh, I expect a real tight, certainly a tight 45, a tight 60. So, yeah, I'd be surprised if that happens, to be honest. Uh, one more little one for you, which, again, I don't like, I'll be really honest. Uh, Liverpool to win both halves is 47-20. to 20. I mean, I'd like it. I mean, I don't, I don't. I'd love it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, I mean, it's my ideal. I'll come, mate. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Whether it's going to happen or not. I mean, I don't know. I think you could maybe expect 
a few of the boys will be hurting, I think, after after last night. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Liverpool try and make a fast start. Obviously, there's two teams of players, so it's not always that easy. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not totally against that one. I think there might be legs in it. Okay, uh, thank you very much to Ian and thank you very much to Reds Bet. They are the Anfield Raps lead partner throughout the whole of 2019. Uh, I forgot what year it was. Listen, it's been a long, it's been a rough 24 hours, folks. Uh, I've had a lot to drink. Uh, so thank you very much to Reds Bet for all of that and for all of their support. They do support fan causes and fan media uh, throughout the country uh, through the fans' bet arm as well. So thank you very much to them. If you are interested in that sort of thing, do feel free to get give them a shout. It is redsbet.com uh, to find them. Uh, let's get back on with the weekender. It is award season in the football world and there was a late runner and rider for best piece of writing written about association football this season from the magnificent Mr Ken Early this week uh, if you didn't, if you missed it it's in the Irish Times do check it out it's better than listening to this podcast uh, though me and Ken are now about to talk about it and it was a 600 word intro uh, about Liverpool's opening goal against Huddersfield which only took 14 seconds it took longer than that to write I suspect uh, and then from there uh, and then a wider exploration about systems within football rather than individuals and I think the most the thing that grabbed me Ken was you use of the stats, the extent to which the game has changed in the last 10 years, let alone 20 since Roy Keane was in his pomp and 40 since Graham Souness was in his. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting, actually. I mean, there's like the stats in it were all kind of pretty basic stats, you know, like passes and crosses, not like kind of high end sort of stuff. But um, the interesting thing was, was like comparing these numbers kind of historically, you know what I mean? Um, which you don't actually often see that much i kind of just realized when i was right now mm, this doesn't really you know i was talking to a friend of mine about the uh about the um keen and soonest talking about the man united game the the man united man city game and uh he he was saying this is ridiculous like when did roy Keane ever play against the team that averaged like 750 passes a game and i was thinking mm, probably actually never happened you know what i mean like yeah. uh if you and then but i was actually surprised when i looked at it how big a difference it was <clears throat> i mean they don't actually have uh you know the kind of complete passing stats going back to say 1999 or you know whenever roy came is at his absolute best i think they only go back to 2007 um so i thought i thought okay maybe i'll look at what what it was like 10 years ago in different aspects and it was actually unbelievable the difference like uh i mean obviously man city are kind of man city are playing a different sport like a sport that did not exist in 2007-8 i mean you can see that like that nobody was doing you know arsenal were the were the real footballing team back then they were the ones who um they played the, all the liquid football. And actually, they were kind of, if you look at, uh, say, the number of passes Arsenal had per game, they'd be kind of mid-table in the Premier League today. You know what I mean? And City are, are like, way out ahead of them. Uh, you know, so I kind of thought, okay, well, you've got to accept that this is very different. You know, when you're talking about getting on top of players and, you know, closing it down, I mean, yeah, obviously all that is important. But you've got to also recognize <laughs> why it's actually very very difficult to do at this stage, you know, compared to the way that it was um, when the guys who were talking on TV usually were, were playing. I think there's there's a line you use that what Manchester City do, and I think you can make the arguments around Liverpool, and I think you can even make the arguments, for instance, I saw Leicester against Arsenal. And what, what I mean, I, I think it's all this has always been true, to be quite honest with you, and this is why I'm, I'm surprised that this, sort of, that, that this sort of observation isn't made more, but Manchester City are absolutely brilliant at it, which is to give you a choice between a bad choice and a worse choice. And yeah. you've you've got to sort of live that reality, and and you know, for instance, I thought that the the observation that there's you, you know when the when the for the for the city opening goal in the Manchester derby, when the you know the lad lets him have a shot because he probably thinks well it's probably better to let him have a shot. I probably encourage the shot and back me goalkeeper, and that's something yeah. which I think is you know in, in many ways it goes against a lot of your first principles around football, but. Sides have been presenting teams with a reality. Playing professional sport is often, and playing all sport is often being given the decision between a bad choice and a worse choice. That's almost what you're, it's like playing Connect Four. It's what you're trying to make your opponent do at all times, is have to make a decision between a bad choice and a worse one. Absolutely, and that, that's why I thought the, the uh, Liverpool Huddersfield's goal, the Cater goal, was quite an interesting one, because what they were doing was actually giving Huddersfield they, they sort of presented Huddersfield with an obvious choice, which was actually a really bad one, you know, in disguise. It was like, um, it, it, you know, the way that they 
the way the thing went, and, and the amazing thing is, like, straight from the kickoff, you know, there was no kind of standing around going, sort of taking it in and waiting for the game to, <laughs> to develop a rhythm. Like, they were just straight into it. Uh, everybody is, is doing what they're meant to do from the start. You know, Salamana, Sturridge are all kind of covering, and then Keita is waiting for this only pass that Huddersfield can play. Someone actually, someone tweeted me then saying, yeah, Huddersfield actually have used this game opening uh, in the last five matches. So this is a pretty good spot by Liverpool. Like, they knew that they were going to do this. And so it was like, block all the kind of short options apart from this one into the middle of your half. And that's the one that we're hoping that you'll go for because we're going to have Keita closing that guy down as the ball arrives at him. Like, I mean, the coordination to do this kind of stuff, like the discipline to pull it off. Even actually, if you look at the goal, you see when Keita scores it, you can see that Daniel Sturridge is already kind of running for the rebound. Like, I mean, if, if the ball comes off the post, he's going to be there. He's kind of managed to get himself in front of the defender. So everyone is kind of right on it from the very beginning, you know? And I kind of think, I, I, you know, I, I mean, I've been watching football for a long time. It used not to be like this. <laughs> it used not to be that organized. You know, like, uh, you used to talk about players, and creative players being given a free role and having the shackles off and all this kind of stuff. Like, it's total nonsense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. The, the, the idea, this, this, this metaphor that's always used, I'll take the shackles off. Like, you know, the players are kind of, have been in a dungeon, like, you know, and, and they're going to be released and now they're free and they can do whatever, but they're not free. Like, if, if you're free, which is to say just spontaneously making up the game as you go along, not really, you know, not really dependent on what your teammates are doing, you are irrelevant. You know what I mean? You're, you're going to be irrelevant to a game that's being played at this level. Like, if you don't work with your teammates... You actually just don't have a chance. This is, I mean, this is the. So and then there was all the stuff around Player of the Year, who got nominated and who didn't. And for me, the last player, certainly the last player who's currently at the top six sides, who sort of you can maybe make an argument has an element of what you've just described there is is Hazard. But then that's why Hazard seasons seem so at times, and even his game by game, even his week by week contribution at times feels wildly inconsistent and maybe not commensurate with his talents. I mean, he may well be the most talented forward in the Premier League, Eden Hazard, and he's certainly the most capable of skipping by, skipping by men in a Leo Messi style of threes and fours. But yeah. yeah, he still, you know, he does not have Mo Salah's numbers and he takes the penalties. He doesn't, you know, and that's goals and assists. He doesn't, he doesn't have the numbers of a lot of these other footballers who are very much playing for and part of system managers. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 oftentimes um, they sort of have to make special arrangements to cover Hazard. You know, when he's playing, uh, you know, the way that Sari, for instance, I think he did it at, uh, in the match at Anfield when when Chelsea lost two 0 was playing Hazard in a central position because against the good team, when you play him on the wing, which is where he prefers to play, you've basically left that entire wing open yeah. for. Uh, for the opponent, you know, which was Alexander-Arnold that time. I mean, Neymar is another player a bit like that, I think. And if you remember the PSG-Liverpool game at Anfield earlier this season, the most important player in the game was Trent Alexander-Arnold because Neymar doing what he wants just meant left that entire flank open. Uh, there were so many crosses from Arnold in that game. You know, uh, now, I mean, okay, when you've got like a Neymar Hazard, you do make... <laughs> okay, he's they, these these players are like freakishly talented, so good enough that they're it's worth making special reasons for it. But the fact is, you have to like you know you can't just you you can't just hope to get away with it because another team, even though if their players aren't individually talented, is going to exploit that if you've got a player who doesn't sort of work for the system. Uh, you mentioned uh, you use Liverpool's fullbacks in the conversation. You mentioned Alexander Arnold there, and you use Liverpool's fullbacks in the piece. It's it is again. Um, the distances covered is is something that's that's profoundly different. The amount that we actually get now from wide areas and who it, who it is who's delivering it. Do you think that there's a way to square the circle? Because I saw Suness's thing where he was obviously completely right. You've got to be first to the mm. ball. I mean, that's not a yeah. for me. That's not a that this is separate to that conversation. And I think what often happens when people try to talk about tactics is you can either go one way and over egg it completely and, and act like it's absolutely everything. But I, I think this yeah. is what you're. I think what you're trying to talk about is something that's a little bit different from 
tactics, from the idea of a formation, from it's more the idea of long-term work on systems and long-term work on approaches, the idea that everyone's got to be disciplined, which I think is different from the idea of what well, we've done, we've made a little little clever shift here, which I think is what either some pundits rebel against or which the view in public at times rebel against. It's, it is actually talking, what you're trying to talk about, I think, and by all means disagree with me, but what I think you're trying to talk about is the very nature of the game now, rather than the idea of, oh, he's done a little thing there where they're now playing 4 3 one two rather than four two three one yeah i mean I, I i kind of also i'm sort of a bit impatient with that sometimes like you know what the, these tiny tactical adjustments you know are sometimes hard to grasp like what exactly is what difference does this make you see like <laughs> mistakes all the time i mean like you know Ginny van allen was was playing as a false nine last night or something like that and yeah you know you, you, <laughs> you could you could think about that for a long time without finding a good reason for it and you know you've you've got a manager here who's who's made like a lot of very good decisions <laughs> to get to this yeah. point in his life but like every decision isn't necessarily a, a winner um yeah i i don't know like i i think that when when Sunus was talking about it soon as is absolutely right you have to be first of all but the thing about it is that that's kind of what everybody is doing you know, like, I mean, so what else do you have going for you? Like, uh, the thing that kind of, when they were talking about the, the United City game, Keane particularly was kind of slamming these defenders individually, Luke Shaw and, and um, Darmian. No, I'm not, I'm not going to say that Luke Shaw and Darmian are, are top defenders because, like, you know, they haven't been for, for several seasons. I mean, you know, they, they're, they're not, like, the best in the league or, or close to it by any means. But when you're talking about the kind of mess that Man United are in, these are like the least responsible people for that. You know what I, you know what I, you know what I mean? The, play, the actual players who are out there getting getting slaughtered and made to look stupid by Man City are the least responsible players for the mess that that club is in. So they're basically sending these these guys out to play against a much better team, a team that has better players and has a much better system, and they're kind of they're they're putting them out there hoping that they can compete, and then when they fail. It's like, well, you know, you don't want it enough. It's like, no, you, we actually had no chance in that game. There was, they, they never had a chance. You know what I mean? And it's not Luke Shaw's fault that, like, they've got this kind of, you know, a squad that sort of doesn't really make any sense and that's difficult to see. How can you put a team together out of the out of all of these kind of disparate parts that's actually going to be able to compete against Manchester City? You know, he, he's not the guy who's been who's been running the transfers for the last five or you know five seasons. He's just the guy who who ends up there with seventy six thousand people looking at him and Roy Keane slamming him uh, on TV afterwards. But it's actually really not his fault. You know what I mean? So so that, so I kind of felt as though the like the criticism of Shaw, while extremely f- funny, I mean, it wasn't just Shaw, it was tons of other players. I mean, it was funny. Like, you're, you're watching like these great former players just show total contempt and scorn for these guys. And it, it is funny. Like, I mean, it goes on YouTube and, you know, that, that particular clip had like more than a million views on YouTube in like two days. Like, that's, there's not that many punditry clips that get like a million views in two days. So you can see that this, there was something there that was worth watching. Keynes are destroying these players. But I kind of felt as though it's missing the point, really. If you're looking at what's wrong with this team, it's not that it's not that Luke Shaw or Matteo Darmian doesn't like have it in them to be a proper Man United player. It's that the club is a shambles and from the top down has been run really badly. <laughs> and these guys are put out there and they're outclassed and filleted by a much better team and then then it's like everyone's sort of pointing the finger at them. Just felt a bit sorry for them over it, you know? There we are, Ken Ailey. Feeling sorry for footballers. I think we all are. Uh, I think that is the best way to go about your business. Mostly, they're just, I, I keep saying it, they're just young lads in their 20s doing the best. Uh, thank you very much to Ken. And let's uh, let's let's move back on. Joined by Jason Murigesu. Uh, he is in a London pub. Uh, who'd have thought they'd have that sort of thing down there? They are sufficiently advanced these days, after all. Uh, and he is talking to us about... Uh, the lack of representation from British Asians within football. It's a piece he's written this week uh, for Prospect, which is excellent, and we will tweet it out and give it a big, big shout. But Jason, the whole piece really is, is really quite disturbing. 8% of the country is Asian, and there's only 12 professional players who are. Uh, 0.3% of British footballers are Asian. Uh-huh. It's mm-hmm. This is something which has been first flagged 20 years ago, and there's been absolutely no progress made on it. Yeah, it's it's a it's such an interesting topic because it's a, it's an article that hey it's not it's not an original article it's an article that's been written every, 
it's, it's written every three years. It's the same, it's the same story, essentially. Um, some, a lot of people think it's cultural reasons. Asian parents don't want their kids to play football. A lot of people say it's because Asian people just aren't as good at football. But the truth is, if those, those reasons could be true, and I'm sure partly they are true, but that would justify them, that would justify there being fewer Asian footballers than there should be. But it doesn't justify 12 football players this year. And then over the last 20 years, how many? Must be 20, 30? Yeah. It's, it's and, yeah, yeah, just within the piece. I mean, firstly, you, you've said that it's something that comes up every, every three years or so. But I think part of the mm. purpose of why you've written the piece is because it'd be quite nice if it would stop. And yeah, it, it, it seems to me as though your argument is is that it is it, the problem is endemic. The problem is is, is deeply rooted. And that is problem why it keeps coming every, every three years. It's absolutely systematic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely systematic. And it is, and people, it's also just an, it's an, it's just an issue that people just don't seem to care about enough. Um, all people, all they kind of justify it with their common sense arguments of like, like I was talking to a couple of school friends of mine and they would justify it by going, hey, none of the 15-year-olds in our school was, none of the Asian kids were as good as the black kids or the white kids in our school, which is fair. But also the reason they weren't good enough at the age of 15 was because they weren't getting the training at the age of five or six or seven because they weren't picked for the school teams at the age of seven or eight, you know? Is and the, they just weren't... Yeah, go on. No, is there, is there, is there, is there a problem with, with people making the decision at such an early age, of people in, a, in positions of authority making the position of five and six and seven, that basically mm-hmm. there's no point persevering with, with children who don't fit the cultural profile they need footballers to fit. 100%. So I think the reason is not 15-year-olds aren't good enough for football. I think the reason is, the reason is they aren't eight-year-olds aren't, eight-year-olds Asian, Asian kids who are good enough to play football just aren't being put in those teams. And I think scouts and coaches are looking at they're just making really broad biases. And some of those biases come true. You know, they think, I think the, the, the examples that this researcher gave me were a lot of coaches will think white players are going to be good captains one day, good leaders, good, good at tactics, whereas black <laughs> players might be stronger or faster. These are stereotypes and they shouldn't be the case, but that's how they base their selection processes. Is this something which, again... We talk a lot about, rightly so, about racism being very, very prevalent in the top flight. Mm. There's been recent, recent, very stark examples. Mm-hmm. 100%, but, yeah. But is that because with stark examples, we get to see them publicly? Is, is, is this the sort this of... Is a, it's hidden. This is 100% a hidden problem. So um, I think this is definitely... This is probably one of the biggest signs that football is racist because I try to talk to so many clubs for this story. So many clubs. And... The PRs were all kind of interested in it, and then they all were just a bit like, ah, it's just not that important. It, one, it wasn't a priority for them. Um, and I think I just have a feeling I didn't talk to enough. I couldn't talk. I couldn't talk to enough coaches in the first place. But I have a feeling coaches just don't even really consider this a problem because they've just never thought about it. And the same way there aren't any black coaches in the game for the most part. These are issues that there are signs of racism. But no one talks about them because they're so hit, they're so separate from, say, Sterling talking about race abuse in Europe or Sterling talking about the press coverage. They're very big examples. These more in sin, these are more hidden examples, but they're just yeah, they're probably more dangerous. To the, they're they're more they they corrupt the game in a more in a darker way. I think on the idea of the game being corrupted in in this way. There's a for mm. me there's there's the first question here comes as it so often does in terms of what is it that the football association is doing the the the, mm. the purpose of the football association as far as I'm concerned should be to promote football uh, for every background every race gender mm-hmm. uh, that's the should be the first priority of the football association and yet yeah. that seems to be seems to be failing miserably here yeah so it was interesting with the FA I tried to find a I tried to find as much as I could about what the FA were actually doing. And essentially, about, about three, four years ago, they started setting up these community meetings where they would go to cities like Bradford, Blackburn, Manchester, London, East London, where there were big Asian communities, and talk to the communities and ask, what do you guys want? How do we get you guys involved in the game? And then it, I couldn't really find anything else afterwards, which is really strange. 
I'm sure that's probably wrong. I have no I have no evidence to back me up, but the people I talked to for the story didn't really seem to couldn't really pinpoint what what the FA were doing other than promoting more people to play grassroots grassroots football. Which is again fair, but Asian leagues are Asian leagues are good for grassroots football, but they don't get Asian youngsters in Asian youngsters into the actual professional game. Which is how you get more people playing football. If they if you see if I see an Asian superstar an Asian five-year-old and their Asian parents might be more likely to push them to become that next Asian superstar. You know? do, you, do you think there's a... Com- in terms of that conversation around role models, I think... Mm. Uh, so I'll say what I think first, but, but you yeah, know, by it. all means disagree. Um, mm. But I think there's a real complacency amongst white men around the importance mm. of role models. So I remember... Oh, 100%. What, what really woke me up was when I went to a, a Liverpool ladies game years ago and there was a row of under 12 women girls there and they were talking about what the players were doing in this really awed tone all the way through the way they were talking to each other the tactical movements and I sort of thought I've got a remarkable complaint and I always say oh footballers shouldn't be role models and all that sort of stuff but I get to have a remarkable complacency about that because since I've been five years old I've been watching footballers be role models and it's just sort of there is that am I right to sort of do do you agree with that oh 100% Um, like for like I just I mean, think of, I think I think the most the starkest fact is the most famous Asian footballer any of us can name, and all the most the person who's had the most cultural impact is a fictional character in Bender Light Beckham, you know, and that film is 17 years old. That's the only role model any of us have, and that character doesn't exist. That there are so few Asian footballers in this country that our most famous example is not a real person, and it's yeah, it's not yeah, it's not, it's not men's football either, you know. Um, and the lack of role models is, I think, a big reason why coaches and scouts probably also aren't looking for Asian footballers either. They have no one to be like, they have no one to look for and be like, hey, this Asian six-year-old could one day be the next, yeah. you know, Sloan Messi or whatever. Is there a, as part of this, is there, a, is there an issue around the next part of this being that effectively a lot of what we talk about at the minute in terms of dealing with racism is very much dealing with, with the symptoms so you know kick it out for instance work really really hard they have mm. workshops for players all of that sort mm. of stuff but it's very very difficult to to if you know if we're, we're having a conversation here about something that could be happening between the ages of 5 and 10 it's very difficult yeah. to be able to deal with that if you're a charity like kick it out it is but also I think with kick it out you that's a fair point but I think the argument against that is there are things Kick It Out could be doing, right? Kick It Out could be talking more about the fact that there aren't any Asians in football and they could be talking about the fact that coaches and scouts and even fans, right? I mean, I, I got a lot of uh, backlash about my article about how Asians just aren't as good at football. You know, there is just that, there definitely is just that view in this country and a lot of people who are very senior in football where they think Asians just aren't good enough and Kick it out should be trying to attack those stereotypes. And they should be trying to be more vocal about it. And I don't think the argument that it's... And the argument that it, it happens when you're 5 and 10 can be mitigated if you're talking to the coaches and scouts who are making those decisions, right? OK, the article is on Prospect. Uh, thank you very much indeed to Jason for taking the time. It Hi. is. Uh, thank you so much. It is called uh, Your Lot Are Not Winning, Why There Are So Few British Asian Footballers. It's on there. We will tweet it out. Do give it a read. It is something to think about. I think it is a complex issue, but it is one which does need addressing somewhere. And the Football Association, as ever, could maybe have a good long think about things. Great to speak to everyone right the way through there. Back now with Leanne, with Dan and with Damien to talk about Newcastle away. Leanne, this is not going to be an easy game. Newcastle have been in great shape uh, since the turn of the year, since the signing of Almiron, arguably. It's been a bit of a catalyst for them. He's now injured. That's obviously in Liverpool's favour. But Saturday night, last home game of the season at Newcastle, it's, it's a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, effectively a Burnley Man City type situation. I think it's going to be a frustrating first half, a, a period of play where Liverpool have to be patient. They have to probe. They have to just keep going. We've seen it time and time again this season. Chelsea, for example, you know, there are the frustrating spells of are we going to get a goal? But 
where in previous seasons there was maybe a, a lack of belief that the, the goal would come. Now there's just a, you know, keep going, lads. It's going to come. You're going to find your way through. And, and I think that's just what Liverpool have to do. I, I don't think we're going to be allowed to make a fast start. I think, obviously, that's that's what Klopp wants to see. That's what we want to see after Barca. But it's a credit to Benitez and, and the way he's got this Newcastle team playing that I think it's going to be a, a very, very tough evening. It's going to be a very, very tough evening. Um and we know that Benitez is not going to mess about, Damien. We know Rafa well enough to know that there's no yeah. favours there. We wouldn't want any either. I think it's fair to say we want Benitez to give us the best version of Newcastle uh, that's available to him. And we go from there. We should have too much. You've got to look at Liverpool's record this season against the bottom ten. But it will be a rowdy St James's Park. We'd love to spoil the party. Oh, aye, yeah. The ultimate cup tie, isn't it? Like you say, end of season. They've done all right. They can feel good, you know, from, from their own perspective. We've just got to go there and do the business. It's all about energy levels for me. There's no, you know, the fact that, you know, if we'd have had the week clear, like Dave had the week clear, I just think we'd go there and I think we'd make um, short work of it. I think all those factors about Newcastle's last game of the season would be there. I just think we'd have well too much. I'm just slightly concerned about. The, you know the lads put such a shift in it's Barcelona. mental energy and physical energy isn't yeah. it? it's both and, yeah. and they will be thinking about Tuesday because they wouldn't be humans if they weren't indeed not but the other way round of looking at it would be and it really and I think Liverpool really have been good at this you know and I've said it like be like, almost like a grand national with this up with the blinkers on just like this is the fence just get over the fence just keep going just keep going and that stood them in really good stead now you can think about Tuesday and you can think about it in a couple of ways. We've just been talking about it before, saying, well, let's galvanise ourselves, let's get up for this and whatever, have you? Let's say we win on Saturday, we just throw everything we've got at it and we win, and then Man City don't. And those players now have sat in that changing room thinking, we could be out of both of these here, we could be you know, nowhere near it. And all they've got to do is just reset the Man City, work this hard, not just this season, the season before, and you'll keep, you'll keep them going. These things don't come round as a matter of right put everything you've got into this game on Saturday night and all we can do is just go top of that league now if we don't if we get beat we can be beaten for the league title anyway so this is you know it's within the last chance saloon territory and so they've just got to focus on that game I think the team will pick itself by virtue of fitness levels and freshness I think the, the sports people the scientists and the fitness coaches will say right okay Trent's an obvious one for Gomez for example and things like that but if they just Focus on the fact that what they could achieve and how close they are, but literally within touching distance here. I know it's difficult to say, well, okay, Man City have only got to win two games. It looks like they will. Barcelona look like they could probably score at Anfield and who gets five against them. Okay, yeah. But the other thing that the matter is we're so close to these things. So let's just go to Newcastle and let's just win that game. We're better than them. We've just played uh, for large periods of the game. Barcelona off the park. Now, if we apply the same logic in yeah. Newcastle, it will work. Just do that. Yeah, I think I think the brief's got to be, you know, don't you dare let this be over now. This goes to the last day, you yeah. know, and that's all. That's been the brief for months, you know. From the manager and the, the team have reiterated to every one of us at each point, we only look after what we do. We only take care of ourselves, and we be the best of ourselves. And I think the brief is very much to get to ninety-seven and see what happens. So. I think the the focus won't be an issue. I am I have got concerns about this game and, and look, you know, I have concerns about every game. I was thinking about Southampton away in November. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm a but mm-hmm. but I do you know, midfield is where I worry in this game. Um because I think no, not to the extent of last season, but I think he's slightly run out of legs a little bit, especially with what happens to Kaita last night. Um and Newcastle at times resembles something like a five four one. Yeah. Um or you know, a three six one, if you like, in midfield the way they flood it. Uh, so I have got concerns over that, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see our little Alex Oxley Chamberlain get dropped in from the start. To be honest, I don't. I think I can see it over Shakiri. I think one of them will play. I think, and I can see it being uh, Oxley Chamberlain. Um, so you think you'll start Oxley Chamberlain? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Who else do you think will start? Jump me team. Yeah, go on. I'm for Liverpool. Yeah, yeah go on. <laughs> Allison, uh, Robertson, Van Dijk, Lovren. Trent, uh, Wijnaldum, Henderson, Ox, Mane, Mo, Divock. So you think he'll, he'll keep he'll keep Firmino and Cottonwall with the second leg in mind, see if he can yeah. get a bit off him off the bench? I don't think he'll touch him. To look, he looked particularly fit last night. Uh, and if you're talking about a tear, then I'm surprised he's even making the bench, to be honest. But I think he, there's every chance he plays if he is making the bench on, on Tuesday. Sorry. Um, you felt Firmino was running out of legs in the game? Yeah, I think he runs out on 60. He might go him again. For, for an hour um, but I think he'll want him from the start as I do with Milner 
uh, for Tuesday night. I think he'll put Mane through the middle. And I think Divock will play just to give us some legs and push them back and keep either Richie or is it Yedlin, the other side? Or the uh, it's, it's been, it's been Mankeo last couple of games. Oh, it, yeah. yeah, he's been playing Mankeo. Okay. Yeah, whoever's right wing back, I think he'll want to push them back. Um, what do you think that seems, I mean? I'd be happy to see it. Like I say, it's just, it, there's things that we don't know about the freshness of the players and where they're up to and with any little knocks that were in the but you know, putting Zivok up there, you know, to his, you know, that's the sort sort of game you, you can imagine him doing all right in. Um the freshness in midfield, well they all kinda of put a shift, but one got injured and the rest of them all had a shift, didn't he? Do you know what I mean? It's not like, you know, someone's being right rested. Yeah. yeah, you know, they really did. So it's, like I say, it's just, you know, I couldn't argue with any of those selections there. And it's just about us being, you know, aggressive and positive. Are you what what do you think, Leon? Yeah, I think, you know, it almost comes down to he could play any 11 players and if they produce the performance we did in Barcelona, we'd probably beat Newcastle 3-4-0. I think that's how good the performance in Barcelona was. Mm. Um, I think Kate is going to be a huge miss just because of the way he's hit form and, and Oxlade-Chamberlain is obviously the, the ready-made replacement. It's just whether he wants to risk him. We've got a handful of games left. You don't know how fit he is. Um, for me, no, I wouldn't, wouldn't risk him. And I think, you know, it is a game for the likes of Trent. You're talking about Newcastle's threat from their wing-backs, but play Trent and suddenly they're pegged back. Liverpool are on top. Liverpool get possession. Liverpool dominate. And um, I think that's just what it's going to come down to. I do agree. It's a, it's kind of a game for Origi. It's, it's one he's kind of made for. Um, you know, the physical presence up front. And, um, you know, using him alongside Mane, Salah, gets you the movement, gets you in behind. I, I think we've just got too much quality. What do you think, Neil? I think I, I I wonder about the Oxley Chamberlain dropping, and that I've been thinking about it as well. It wouldn't surprise me if Lallana appears. Possibly. Is he, mad. Isn't he injured? So he's been he's had a knock, but he's supposedly back in training again. Uh, but you never know with these things. Yeah, yeah. But it wouldn't surprise me if there's some. There's, I, I think that one of Lallana, Oxley Chamberlain, Shakiri starts. I think he'll have an issue with starting Shakiri, and that he might not want to change the shape. But he might decide that if he st- if he if he starts Shakiri, he can play four two three one and play Salah through the middle. Shakiri off the mm. off the right, mm. and then look at uh, Mane off the left and someone in behind. But I think then he's he's scratching his head as to who is in behind Mane's maybe. So that you know because he he was using Firmino there. So I'd, I'm I'm it's one of them really. I think it's I think it I think it will be a little bit of you get them back in. They do the sports science. They the the you know they look at everyone. They, they rate everyone and they go from there. But. It wouldn't surprise me to see an Oxlade Chamberlain dropped in. Really I hadn't thought about me. that, to be honest. That's the one player I hadn't thought about. And if he's got an hour in him, we'll leash him and say, look, you know, go at it. Let's get in front. Well, Let's paint them back. Let's give them something to think about and go as far as you can. And when it looks like you haven't got much left, we can put someone else on. We can change the shape of the team then. But let's start on the front foot. There's also Newcastle having seven, eight days of analysis on us not playing him. And then he gets dropped in. You know, And, and he is very different in that you've seen... A little bit of the cameo when he came on the other night, and that you know the thing he'd forgot about him is how we can just pick it up and go ten yards into space. And I don't think we've really got anyone who can do that at that pace. No. So I think if you've prepped all week for something that isn't that, that can that can throw you a Mickey, and it can take you a little while to adapt to it. Uh, give me a prediction, Leanne. Three-one Liverpool. Damien. Three-one Liverpool. One-nil Liverpool. Uh, I much prefer Damien and Leanne Saturday nights to be honest with you. Dan. <laughs> yeah. Trying to have a pint here, mate. You know I know, what I mean? mate. I know. I know. <laughs> You'll need more that? if it's one nil. Yeah, yeah. I was going to yeah. say. Hold you five minutes ago, my dear lads. Absolutely horrendous. Listen, thank you everyone, uh, everyone for contributing to the Anfield Wrap this week. Uh, let me go through the list of names if I can get them up on my phone. Isn't this really bad? Bad podcast hosting. Uh, it's atrocious, in fact. Uh, thank you very much to Ken Early. Thank you very much to Becky Ears. Thank you very much to Jason Moragesu and to Leanne. Prescott to Dan Morgan and to Damien Cavana. The Anfield Raps unbelievably peppy after Liverpool found itself defeated by Barcelona by three goals to nil. It's what happens when you think your team is good. We're all allowed to think that. Sports Social Podcast Network.